0: Coming up today on A Daily Walk. Jesus told his disciples, put away your swords. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus said, don't you think that I could now pray to my father and he would provide me more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? One legion of soldiers was 6,000 men. Jesus said, I could call down right now 72,000 angels to defend me but you have to put away your sword. This is the reason why I came. Most
1: books have a climax, a high point in the text that the reader is elevated to. The book of Luke certainly does, and we've almost reached it here on a daily walk with Pastor John Randall. We're about to read the account of one of the most unfair trials in world history, but even more remarkable than the injustice in it all is the fact that the one being accused had the power to put a stop to all of it, but was driven by love. And the will of the Father to allow it to continue. We get the incredible details in Luke chapter 22, and that's where we join our teacher, Pastor John Randall.
0: This morning, we have now come to our Lord's final steps down the road that would lead to the cross. It began with Jesus and his disciples sharing a final meal in an upper room together on the night. Of the Passover. It was following that meal that they made their way to the garden of Gethsemane. While in the garden, Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. And so he asked his disciples if they would pray with him. However, the disciples were unable to stay up with Jesus and they fell asleep. And there in the garden, Jesus prayed at least three times to his father, and he prayed that his will wouldn't be done, but that the father's will would be done. It was there in the garden of Gethsemane that Jesus fully submitted to the will of the father, and it would not be easy. There was no other way that we could be saved except for the cross. And when Jesus had finished praying, his Sweat, Luke tells us, his sweat became like great drops of blood because of the pressure. And when he had completed his time of prayer, he came upon his disciples and they were sleeping again. And he woke them up because his betrayer was at hand. And that is where we come to now in verse 47 of Luke 22. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, Went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Some have estimated that between the dismissal of Judas from the upper room and the time of his arrival in the garden of Gethsemane could have been two hours. In that window of time, it would have been very easy for Jesus and his disciples to have escaped. But Jesus knew that it was for this reason that he had come. Now, when Judas arrived there in the garden, a number of things took place. The party that came to arrest Jesus was made up of soldiers and religious leaders and those who were assistants to the high priest. And it says that they came with torches, they came with clubs, and they came with swords. Perhaps they were anticipating some kind of reaction or some struggle with some of Jesus' followers. The Bible tells us that Judas stood with the crowd And Jesus said in John's gospel, the 18th chapter, when they all came into the garden, Jesus said, who is it that you are seeking? And they responded by saying, we are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And John chapter 18 says that Jesus then responded and he said, I am he, ego me in the Greek. And when he said that, it says they drew back and fell to the ground. Imagine that. Then they got back up, picked up their swords, picked up their torches. And Jesus, you remember, after that, Judas stepped forward and Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Called him friend. Judas then betrayed him with a kiss in order to identify him to those who would arrest him. And suddenly the disciples thought to defend Jesus. They drew out their swords. We know for a fact that it was Peter that was the one that drew out his sword and and cut off the high priest's ear whose name was Malchus. And Jesus told his disciples, put away your swords. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. In Matthew 26, Jesus said, don't you think that I could now pray to my father and he would provide me more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? One legion of soldiers was 6,000 men. Jesus said, I could call down right now 72,000 angels to defend me. But you have to put away your sword. This is the reason why I came. It was following that statement that all of the disciples, just as Jesus had predicted, fled the garden. And Jesus was then taken into custody and brought to his first illegal preliminary trial before a man whose name was Annas. Although Luke does not record the details of this, the other gospel writers do. This man, Annas, was formerly the high priest But his position had been removed. In his place, he had five sons who also served as high priests. Eventually, his son-in-law became the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. Apparently, they sought to keep the family business intact. But Annas was really still recognized by the people as the authority behind the priesthood. Annas was the one who was in charge of all of the tables that had been set up in the temple area that Jesus had overturned. And thus, for some time, Annas desired to have an audience with Jesus. But this proceeding, this bringing Jesus to the home of Annas, even according to the Jewish law that was interpreted in what was called the writings of the Talmud, said that this was illegal. They had a number of rules that were put in place if you were to arrest someone for capital, uh, capital crime. Number one, for a capital crime, it had to be made in broad daylight, not at night. That law was ignored. Another law put in place was for an arrest for a capital crime couldn't be made based on the information by the offender's followers because if one could be accused was a criminal, his followers would also be considered criminals. That was also ignored. No Jewish trial could be held at night between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. They ignored that law. Members of a Jewish court, after hearing the testimony of a criminal, would then take a few days to think upon the judgment before it was given. That was also ignored. The Sanhedrin, this 70-member governing body of the Jewish people, would have to vote one at a time for the outcome of the trial and the verdict. They ignored that law. In addition to that, the Jews had in place something similar to what we would call our Fifth Amendment, where a person could choose not to testify against themselves. And so as Jesus was being questioned, Jesus responded and said, go ask those people who heard me, teach, go ask them what I said. And immediately Jesus was struck in the face for the first time. It became very obvious that Jesus was not going to receive a fair trial. In the minds of his accusers, he was guilty and already condemned To die. But while Jesus was being transported from one place to the next, Luke records for us the denials of Peter. Look what it says in verse 54 Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, but he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then... After about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned, looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out, and he wept Bitterly, While Jesus was being tried, Peter apparently was following the crowd, seeking to mingle in in order to find out what was happening to Jesus. And as he was gathered around those in the courtyard area, first of all, it says that a young girl had come and began to look at him, stare at him intently. Ever had someone look at you intently and wonder, why are you staring at me? I wonder that sometimes from this vantage point. No, I understand. We're all (laughs) focusing here. But the thing is, this girl was staring at Peter and she said, I, I recognize you. You're one of his disciples. First denial, Peter said, I don't, I don't know the man. Later on, somebody else recognized him as he was warming himself on that cold night by the fire. And they said, no, you're, you're one of his disciples. I've seen you before. And again, the second time he denied it. A third time. Another man certainly recognized him. In fact, one of the gospel writers tells us that one of the relatives of Malchus, whose ear Peter had cut off, happened to be there and said, no, I know that you're one of his disciples because you took my cousin's ear off. And Peter, at that moment, he began to, the gospel writer says, began to call down curses upon himself, swearing. Not, not using profane language as, as you think of swearing, but, but calling down curses, swearing that he did not know the man denied him. And right after that, we read that the rooster crowed. And then it says only here in Luke's gospel that Jesus and Peter looked at each other, that they locked eyes. Only Luke records that. And when Peter looked at Jesus and when Jesus looked at Peter, he suddenly remembered what Jesus had said. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I've often wondered what it must have been like for Peter to look into the eyes of Jesus at that moment How did Jesus look at his disciple? Did he look at him with eyes of disdain and say, how could you, Peter? How could you do that to me? You You said that if everybody else denied me, you would never. You said you were ready to die with me. You said you were ready to go to prison with me. And look at you. Look at what you've done. Did you hear the rooster? I don't think Jesus looked at him that way. You remember, it was Jesus that told Peter that Satan desired to sift him like wheat, but that he was praying for him. In fact, it was Jesus who told Peter that he would deny him three times. I think Jesus looked at Peter with eyes of understanding. Oh, Peter was surprised at himself, but Jesus was not surprised. Have you ever been guilty of something you said you would never do? Oh, you know people that would do that, but you would never do that. that. You're a person of integrity. You're trustworthy. You would never do that. And yet you did. And you were surprised. Jesus wasn't surprised. If that's you, the best thing to do is repent. And you'll find that Jesus will forgive you. Later on, we'll find, this isn't the end of the story for Peter. He goes out and he weps bitterly. He thinks that his life and ministry is over. He's failed. He can never be used again. But after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Do you know one of the the words that were spoken was go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. Peter was a man who was broken and humbled and he needed to know that Jesus was alive and eventually he was restored, placed back in the ministry, empowered with the Holy Spirit and preached the first sermon there in the book of Acts and 3000 people in one day were added to the church. But at this moment, this was an extremely low point For the apostle Peter, he went out and he wept bitterly. After this, Jesus was then taken to the home of Caiaphas. Again, Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas. He was actually the high priest at this time. And in verse 63, it says, Now the men who held Jesus, they mocked him and they beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and they asked him saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you the Son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Matthew, as well as Mark's gospel, records for us that in the trial before Caiaphas, that there were many false witnesses that were brought to the stand. And none of their testimonies matched one another. One would say something and another would say something and they would contradict one another. These were false witnesses. This was a hung jury. This was a kangaroo court. This was put in place to ensnare Jesus. And while all of these accusations were being raised against him, the Bible indicates that Jesus did not respond. He did not answer. He did not seek to defend himself as he was being tried. It would have done no good. But there came a point when Caiaphas grew weary of Jesus' lack of response. And in Matthew chapter 26, Caiaphas does something. He puts Jesus under oath before the living God. And he demands that he answered. And being put in that position, Jesus would give an answer. He said, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Are you the Messiah? Do you think that you're deity? This is what he's asking Jesus. And here was Jesus' response. He said, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus did not deny who he was, his identity. Are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ? Jesus, in essence, said, I am. And one day you will see me coming on the clouds of heaven claiming deity, claiming to be the Messiah at that moment. Matthew tells us that the high priest took hold of his garments and he ripped them in two. And this was to be an outward demonstration of the fact that he was just tore up and that he had spoken blasphemy in the midst of this governing body known as the Sanhedrin and that Jesus was now worthy to be put to death. At that moment in the home of Caiaphas, we know that Jesus, a number of things took place. For one thing, he was blindfolded and men began to take turns hitting him with fists open or fists clenched. And as they hit him, they said, prophesy to us who hit you. I don't know if you've ever been struck before. When someone is attacking you, normally if you see it coming, you can brace yourself for it you can protect yourself, you can roll with the punches as they say. But if you've ever been blindsided, if you've ever been hit not expecting it, you weren't looking for it, you feel the full pressure and power of that attack. And so imagine Jesus innocent, done nothing wrong, blindfolded and grown men come up with all of their strength from any direction, and hit him as hard as they possibly can, and then have the audacity to say, now prophesy who hit you if you are the Messiah. And they held him there. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that they also came, and they began to spit in his face, and they began to take hold of his beard and to pull it out with their hands. Jesus was being beaten, and eventually the Bible would say he would be beaten beyond recognition of a man. He's been up all night. He had sweat great drops of blood in the garden. He had been betrayed by a close friend, slapped in an illegal trial before Annas, and now being reviled, spit upon, and beaten mercilessly there before Caiaphas. But then once the morning light had dawned, Jesus was then taken to stand before a Roman procurator whose name was Pontius Pilate. In chapter 23, verse 1, then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked and said, are you king of the Jews? And he answered and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were more fierce saying he stirs up the people teaching throughout all of Judea beginning from Galilee to this place. Look at the accusations that were brought against Jesus and how unfounded they really were. They said he was perverting the nation. He wasn't perverting the nation. He was ministering to those in the nation. He was saying it's unlawful to pay taxes to Caesar. He never said that. He said what belongs to Caesar give to Caesar. What belongs to God Give to God. They said he's going everywhere, you know, causing people to riot and stirring up the people. All of it was not true. And Pilate was discerning enough to see that their accusations were false. And so on more than one occasion throughout this trial, he would declare that Jesus was innocent, that there was no fault to be found within him. Now, the reason that the Jewish people brought Jesus to Pilate to begin with is because the right of capital punishment had been taken from them by the Roman government. Normally, if you were a convicted felon for a capital crime, the Jewish people would take you outside the city and stone you to death. But that right had been removed from them. And so the only way that they could put Jesus to death was to convince the Romans that he was a threat to Rome. That somehow he, he declared his own kingdom and he would cause an uprising. And so this was their attempt To convince Pilate. The gospel records the times of questioning that Pilate had with Jesus, and in each case, as I said, he found him to be innocent. But there is also some background upon Pilate's life that is found in secular history that I would like to bring to your attention that may give us a little bit of insight into the situation that Pilate found himself in as Jesus stood before him. After Herod the Great, had passed away. He left the kingdom to his three sons, and he divided the regions that he was over between the three of them. And one of the regions he gave to his son Herod Achilles, who was over the area of Judea. But Achilles was a poor leader, and he began to tax the people severely and caused many problems for them. And so the Romans put Pilate in his place, a Roman governor, to govern the Jewish people. And as Pilate entered into his reign... He made a few mistakes. The first mistake that he made is he allowed his soldiers to carry their flags that had the image of Caesar on top of them into the temple area. And when the Jewish people saw that, they felt that he had desecrated holy ground. And so they followed him rioting, screaming, all the way back to Caesarea, demanding something be done. And Pilate threatened them and killed some of them. And he told the rest of them, if you don't stop, I'm gonna put you all to death. And history records for us that all the Jewish people who were rioting put their heads on the chopping block and said, go right ahead. They stood up to him, and he acquiesced to their demands. Offering hope
1: and encouragement for your daily walk, that is Pastor John Randall. And this is A Daily Walk. We're going through the Bible right now. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at PJ Randall7 and on Instagram at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East, and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend, Barry Stagner. It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They asked him about the signs of his coming and the end times, What should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877-242-0828, or go online to adailywalk.org. Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help, we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at walk at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at a daily walk at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of a daily walk when you write to us at a daily walk at gmail.com. Now, here's what's coming up next time on a
0: daily walk. Jesus made seven statements from the cross, the first one recorded here in Luke's Gospel. Look with me once more as we conclude in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. As Jesus hung upon the cross, he pleads still on behalf of sinners and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, the grace of God, the love of God, In that moment as Jesus was dying, he took all of the wrath, all of the judgment, everything that we deserved. It was a substitutionary death. He took our place. We should have died for our own sin, but instead he came and died in our place. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I believe that that didn't just apply to those who were blaspheming him then, but to us who before we knew Christ, We're blaspheming Him with our lives. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing.
1: We'll hear what Jesus endured for us on the cross to save us from our sins, next time on A Daily Walk with Pastor John. This is a presentation of Calvary South OC.